Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. We live in a society where women are taking an increasingly important and prominent role in the businesses and in the world around us. Many of you know, for instance, about Marissa Mayer, who was, I think, believe she still is, the CEO of Yahoo. Uh, some of you know about a woman named Indra Nuyi. She is the CEO of Pepsi Corporation. There's also Virginia Ramati. She is the CEO of IBM. And, of course, we all know about Hillary Clinton. She almost became America's first female president. What we see in our society is women are taking on an increasingly a prominent and gifted role. And many of them are great leaders. You may start to wonder, though, why aren't there women taking on more prominent roles and leadership roles in the church? Not, at least not in our church. I mean, what's the deal? Is it because the church is a filled with chauvinists? Maybe it's because the church is just behind the times and has to get with it in the culture. What do you think? Today we're going to discover the answer. We're going to be looking at some verses in Timothy that many people find very difficult to understand and very difficult to apply. In fact, without question, the verses we're looking at in the book of 1 Timothy this morning have more ink spilled over these four or five verses than any other verses in this entire book. And why are these verses, for many people, are so controversial? That's not their actual intent. These verses are actually intended to be encouraging. Encouraging and teaching us how to honor Jesus Christ how to stop the, the spread of sin and, and chaos, and ultimately on how to bring the gospel to the world. And these, the purpose of these verses is actually intended to show us the incredible high value of women in God's eyes and in God's plan. So let me go ahead, and we're going to read these verses. Take out your outline. I put them right on the top. If you would like to read in your Bible, that's fine too, but I put them right there for you. Follow along with me. It says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. You can see why these are some controversial verses. Now, one of the things we've learned as we've been studying, and I've tried to teach you as your pastor, is you always read verses in context. You want to read them in the flow of the argument, because if you pull them out of context, you can easily make them say things they weren't intended to say. So let me remind you of what we've been learning in this book. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, it was all about the centrality and the importance of Jesus Christ in our life. 
And Paul's message was, don't take your eyes off Jesus. Because Jesus is the only way to have a changed life. Then last week, when we started in the second chapter, Paul was talking about how we honor Christ and honor Jesus in the life of the church. And we learned that we honor Him by being a place and a people of prayer above all things. And also, he said, he flipped from there about how we are a people of prayer to how we could actually move from honoring Jesus as a church to dishonoring Jesus as a church. He talked about how men can dishonor Jesus. And men can dishonor Jesus by their hands and their heart, by dishonest work and quarreling and anger in their spirits. And how women, we learned last week, can dishonor Jesus by the way they dress. We saw that culturally what was going on in Ephesus is women were no longer into modesty. They were letting their hair flow freely. They were wearing uh, dresses. And they were realizing that they could be dressing to distract, dressing to get all the attention of men. And um, women were coming to church. And Paul's point was simply this. You know, if you come to church dressed that way, when the focus and attention is supposed to be on Jesus Christ... Trust me, the focus and attention isn't on Christ when you dress that way. It's on you. And Paul's point was you can dishonor Jesus by dressing in a way to distract from Jesus. And then when this comes along, these verses flow right in this section about how a woman could actually dishonor Christ in the church. And this is his point. A woman can dishonor Jesus by seeking a role in the church that she was not created to fulfill. A woman can dishonor Jesus by seeking a role in the church she was not created to fulfill. Now, the key thing that as I studied this week to understanding these verses is to realize they're put together in what is called a chiasm. Now, if you've been in my Crosswinds University class, some of you guys are shaking heads. Yeah, we studied chiasms. And let me tell you what they are. A chiasm is sort of like a mirror. It structures one way on one side of the verse, and then it inverts and structures the other way on the opposite side of the verse. And what we find here is you look at this verse. It's in the form of a chiasm. The first half gives us two commands, Paul gives And the second half gives us two reasons for those commands. In fact, I put the chiasm in your notes so you can see how it works with an A, B, and an A prime, B prime structure. Let me just read this for you. The first command he gives is this. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. That's the command. And the reason is at the end. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. He says it comes from Genesis. That's why a woman must learn, so she is not deceived. The second command was this. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. But why? It's in the chiasm. He quotes from Genesis. This is why. Because Adam was formed first and then Eve. And once you understand that this is the way this verse, these verses are structured, it helps us make better sense of why Paul gives these really difficult commands. So let's go ahead and work through the text and understand how it was structured. So let's begin with this. First of all, in the very top we see this. Women are to learn at church. 
That's what he says. They are to learn. Now, this may not sound uh, too earth-shattering, but in the first century world, this is completely earth-shattering. Because first of all, women were uh, usually shut out of most of the learning in the ancient society. Women were allowed to attend the synagogue, but they certainly weren't encouraged to attend the synagogue in the first century. Rabbis typically did not teach women. Rabbis, actually, some of them said that to teach a woman was the kin of throwing pearls before swine. So women's role in the first century was not one of learner. But Jesus, you see, treated women very differently. In fact, some of Jesus' closest friends were women. Jesus allowed women to actually touch him. Much of Jesus' ministry was paid for by the gifts of women. And one of my favorite scenes with Jesus and women was Mary and Martha. You remember that situation? Martha was working away in the kitchen to make dinner, and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus doing what? Learning. Martha busts out of the kitchen and says, send Mary in to help me. Again, the dinner is burning. And what does Jesus say? She has chosen the better thing. It's not going to be taken away from her. It is good for Mary to learn. That is just an earth-shattering thing in that culture. It continues. Who were the first people to know about Jesus' resurrection? It was women. Jesus hung around, even hung around with sinful women. Remember the woman at this well in Samaria? The, the woman who went in the middle of the day because nobody would talk to her? Jesus talked to her, the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus forgave the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus let the sinful woman anoint his feet. Jesus hugely elevated the place of women and the role of women. Now, just to help cement this in your mind, I would like you to think of places in the world where the gospel has not gone or the gospel is weakly proclaimed. What is the role of women like in those places compared to what the role of women is like in America where the gospel is heard? What comes to mind when you think of the role of women in those places that do not have the gospel? Usually women are wearing veils. Women are confined to the home. Women are uneducated. Women are not allowed to drive. Women are not allowed to vote. Women cannot hold property. Rather, they are usually considered property. Women are usually beaten. And a woman's value is in her sexuality and in her ability to bear children. That's culture apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has highly elevated the value of women. Paul continues, highly elevates the value of women, and he says women must learn. That's unheard of. But he does qualify it a little bit. He says they must learn quietly. Now, 
that can throw a lot of different ideas into your mind. What does he mean by saying a woman must learn quietly? You look up this word quietly in the Greek and it means this. It means settle down and not unruly. That's all it means. It does not mean complete silence. It does not mean a woman cannot talk at church. It's very similar to what a teacher would say in the classroom. When you're a teacher and you're teaching the kids and there's kids in the back that are talking, what do you say? You need to be quiet because you need to learn. You cannot be talking to your friend at the same time that I'm teaching because when you're talking, you're not learning. That's all it is. So Paul says that a woman is to learn and she needs to make sure that when she's in church, she is paying attention to learn. That's all he's really saying. And he says that she is also to um, learn with all submissiveness. Now, what does that mean? It simply means to fall in line in your place. That's all it means. It means understand your role and then play your role. It's the same kind of relationship that goes on between a boss and an employee. An employee is not the boss, and the boss is not the employee, and you have to understand your roles. Fall in line with it. The same word is used in Titus chapter 2 when to describe the way a congregation is to uh, respect the role of the leaders in the congregation. Just fall in line in your role. It's also used in Ephesians chapter 2 to describe how we are to respond to Jesus. Like, you know, we're not Jesus, right? We fall in line in our role under him. So here's Paul's very simple point. Women are of incredibly high value. Women should be learning at the church. They should be quietly paying attention at the church and understand their role is to be a good student. That's pretty much it. Now, he gives a reason for this. And remember, it's from this chiasm. Here's the reason for the command. Because Adam was not deceived, but Eve was deceived and became the transgressor. We studied the book of Genesis uh, recently. And what we learned is especially these first chapters in Genesis, they are foundational and they set the pattern for how life works. And Paul uses this many times. Peter uses this many times. The New Testament writers are constantly referring back to the verse first few chapters about Genesis to help us understand how life is supposed to work and how sin twisted and distorted it. And here's what um, Paul is saying. Women must learn because Eve was the one who was deceived. Now, why was she deceived? I don't know. Maybe it was because Adam failed to teach. Maybe it was because Eve failed to listen. I don't know. But this is what I do know, and I put it in the bold at the bottom of your outline. A woman is to receive instruction at church so the devil will not be able to deceive her into sin like he did Eve. Paul's point is it is very much to our benefit and to a woman's benefit that she would be well educated in Jesus Christ so she would not be deceived into sin like Eve was. 
Real simple, real basic. Real good, actually. Now it comes to the really hard part. Women are, women are not to teach or to exercise authority over men in the church. And it just says it very directly. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now, if you were to go out today and start looking on the internet to learn more about this verse, what you will find as soon as you do that is you will, say, you will see people that say this verse is open to a variety of different interpretations and we really don't know what it means. That's actually not technically quite true. This verse is not open to a variety of different interpretations. <laughs> it's been open to a variety of different opinions. Because what it says is actually quite clear. There's no ambiguity in the Greek whatsoever. It's very clear and very straightforward. And I did a little uh, study on the history of the disputes on this verse. And I found some interesting things that would be helpful for you to know. Dr. Bob Yarborough, who actually teaches at our seminary, Trinity Seminary, did a, uh, a research as to find out when the disputes on this verse first arose. And this is what he found out. This is the point in there. Disagreements over this verse never surfaced in the history of the church until the year 1969. Interesting, isn't it? For 2,000 years of church history almost, for 60 generations of the greatest minds the church ever had to offer, this verse was considered very clear. And then all of a sudden in 1969, disputes on what it means arose. And Dr. Yarbrough says, I think the reason disputes on what this verse mean arose was because the feminist movement started in the 1960s. And all of a sudden you have problems with this verse in 69. Very interesting. Dr. Harold O.J. Brown, who is also a Trinity professor, I actually had him right before he passed away of cancer, he said this, I thought it was really well stated. When there's been no new archaeological research that has surfaced, and no new linguistic research on language that has surfaced whatsoever, the only thing that has changed is the culture and all of a sudden we're uncertain about this verse, we should be really cautious about new interpretations. It's true, isn't it? So, my point to you is this, that this verse really isn't that hard linguistically. It's just very hard for us to swallow culturally. Now, let me uh, show you how some people have typically debated this verse. One of the... Uh, people who was a vocal opponent of this verse was a guy from Fuller Seminary, a guy named Dr. Paul Jewett. And this is what he said in 1975. He said, Paul is just wrong. We can cross it out. I'm like, that's sort of strange. You just get to cross out what you don't agree with? Well, interestingly, uh, Dr. Paul Jewett also discovered he didn't like what the Bible said about homosexuality, so he crossed those verses out too. And then he crossed out what the Bible said about sanctity of life, and he became a feminist, pro-homosexual abortionist. So I'm not, I didn't really follow him too well. I'll give you another example. Some claim that Paul was just talking about excessive women leadership. And they postulate that since Artemis, and the great temple of Artemis, 
was in this culture, that all the women were like a bunch of Amazons, and he's talking about excessive women leadership. And here's the problem. Historically and archaeologically, we know Ephesus was no different than Corinth, Rome, and other cities of the day. There was an excessive women leadership there. Other people say that Paul was just talking about abusive women leadership, women abusing their authority over men. The problem is that linguistically, when you study this, that's another impossibility. The word is simply authority, period, not abusive authority. Other people will say this, that some claim Paul was just giving his opinion when he said, I do not permit. And so we don't take that as highly as the rest of the Scripture because Paul was giving an opinion at this point. The problem is the very words that we sung and that were read during our worship service earlier in 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All Scripture is God-breathed. All of this book is God's Word. Even when Paul says, I do not permit. We've learned earlier in our study of doctrine that the proper way that Jesus views the Scripture as every consonant in the original language is inspired by God. Every vowel is inspired by God. And even the tenses of the verbs are inspired by God. So you can't take this verse out. In addition, remember why, where Paul bolsters his argument from. Not from his mind, but with the chiasm we saw he bolsters it in Genesis. So it's not just about what he thinks. Lastly, you'll see this if you study the internet. Many people will say Galatians 3.28 erases this verse. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is um, no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And they say, look, there is neither male nor female in Christ Jesus. But if you read this verse in its context, remember context is king, guys. This verse is talking about the fact that salvation by Jesus Christ is open to all. It doesn't matter if you're a boss or employee. You come to Jesus at church on the weekend, guess what happens on Monday? You're still either a boss or an employee. You come to Jesus on the weekend as a Jew or a Greek or a Lithuanian or a Latvian, guess what happens on Monday morning? You're still of your same ethnic gender. You come to Jesus as a man or a woman, you're still a man or a woman and have the roles that correspond with that. So my simple point as we start looking at this verse is this, that a lot of people will tell you it's open to various interpretations. Quite honestly, it's not. It's very simple and very straightforward. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean for a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man in the church? And what is this saying is really off-limits? And here's where context is ever so helpful. Let me give this to you. Paul is talking about the public teaching office of pastor. Remember, we're talking about how to honor Jesus or how we dishonor Jesus in the life of the church. So who's the public teaching office in the church? The pastor. And he says the pastor is off limits for a woman. Paul is also talking about the board or boards that lead the church or the top spiritual authority in the church, he says, is off limits to a woman. 
Is that because he is a chauvinist? No. Remember the chiasm. It is because of what we learn about how God has designed creation to operate. Let me give you this uh, third point under this second number here. The reason for male leadership in the church is from the creation account in Genesis, where it says man was formed first and Eve was formed as his helper. That is why that the uh, pastor and the leader or spiritual leaders in the church are to be men. Remember how the Genesis account went. You had God created everything. God created Adam. Adam named the animals, which is the point where he has given authority over the animals and creation. And then God says, it is not good for him to be alone. I will make a helpmate suitable for him. It's exactly what it says in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And Eve was created from Adam's side for Adam's side. Eve was created to be a helper for Adam, not the ruler over Adam. Eve was not created to be the teacher of Adam in the Genesis account. Now, let me show you something here. There's an interesting flow change between Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, and this is what Paul is referring to. Look at the creation order in Genesis chapter 2. You have God in charge, and then you have him create Adam, and created to be the helpmate of Adam is the woman, and then together they rule over creation. That is the way it was designed to be put together. But when you get to Genesis chapter 3 and sin enters the world, what you find is an exact inversion of the creation order. You have the creation in the form of a snake being the leader. And the creation in the form of a snake then leads the woman. The woman then leads the man, and the man then goes away from following God. So sin enters the world, not just from a disobedience to God's commands, but hear this, but from an inversion of God's role for the sexes. This is why in the home and in the church, it is essential that we run in a Genesis 2 proper creation order, not a Genesis 3 inverted creation order. This is why when you come to Ephesians chapter 5 and it says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And we read and study all in, in Ephesians chapter 5 while a husband is head of his wife as Christ is head of the church. Why is that so essential? Because it is the proper creation order of Genesis 2. And it is the inversion of the creation order in Genesis 3, which is what led to sin and chaos in the world. Which is why uh, a home needs to function in a proper creation order. And Paul says it's not just the home that needs to function this way, but the church needs to function this way as well. See, Eve 
sinned and overturned the creation order by being the teacher of her husband. Adam sinned by not, by not uh, leading his wife, but intentionally listening to his wife, and not in a good way, but listening to his wife in leading him into sin. So Paul says the proper creation order must be restored in the home and in the church for the gospel to reach the world through our lives, is what he says. Now I know what I just said is very hard for some people to hear, but let me just pause and straighten some things out. Where does this not apply? This is not referring to the work world. It is not saying that women are in any way inferior at all to men. Far be it from that. Women are of equal value, equal worth. They're just given different roles. That's all. And by the way, guys, won't we admit that women are smart and gifted? Who ruins the curve every time you take a test in school? The girls, don't they? So by the way, this is not saying that women are inferior at all. This is, so it is completely appropriate for a woman to be in charge of a man in the work world. This is not referring also to a woman in home Bible studies. You remember Priscilla and Aquila. They, a husband and wife team, took aside a really gifted leader named Apollos and explained the way of Christ more accurately to him, but not publicly in front of other people. They pulled him aside into their home. And gently and respectfully explain the way of Christ more accurately to him. This also does not prohibit a woman from teaching other women and children. In fact, in Titus chapter 2, women are commanded to do this. This does not prohibit a woman from praying in the church or contributing in the church in a myriad of other ways. This is only talking about the public teaching office of the pastor and talking about the top spiritual authorities group in the church. Like I said, it has nothing to do with giftedness. It deals with the God-given creation order in Genesis before sin entered the world. Now, why are these verses so hard for us? There's two quick reasons I have for you. One is this. Sin causes us to rebel against our God-driven creation roles. It does. That is what sin does. Look at what it says in Genesis 3.16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. The way sin manifests itself in a, the life of a wife, is she will not desire to be a helpmate under her husband. But she will desire to be the leader over her husband. That is the way sin manifests itself in a woman's role. Sin manifests itself in a woman's role in the church. Rather than desiring to be, desiring to be a good learner in the church, she will desire to be a good le a leader of the church. So sin naturally wants us to rebel about this. The other thing I think that is very important for us to understand is this. We often misunderstand leadership in the church and leadership in the home. 
when we think about leadership, we think about what we see on the television right now in the way of politics. We think of who has power, who has control, and who can force their way on other people. That is not biblical leadership. Biblical leadership is about death. That's what it's about. Jesus is the leader of his church because Jesus dies for his church. Husbands are the leaders of their wives and families because husbands die for their families. Pastors and elders in the church, their job is to give up their very life for the sheep of the congregation. It's about death. Think about this. What does a good husband do? He works incredibly long hours to provide for the, his wife and his children. He sacrifices himself deeply. And when he gets off of work, what does he do? Does he go out to the golf course and say, now it's my time, I get to do whatever I want, and then go buy a fancy car and blow his money? No. A good husband, when he's done working incredibly long hours, he comes home and he gives his wife the affection and time she deserves. A good husband then goes up next to his children and he reads them Bible stories when he's falling asleep before his children are falling asleep because he's exhausted because he is dying to self to provide for his wife and church. That's what it means to be a leader. And then when it's all done, what does the good husband do? After his children have gone to bed and his wife has gone to bed, he goes and he opens his computer so he can do his continuing education course at night when he can barely keep his eyes open so he can get a better job to provide better for his wife and his children. He dies to self. That's what good godly leadership is. Just like Christ gave himself for the church. The husband's died self for his wife and family. And pastors and leaders are about dying to themselves for the flock they love. It's not about power, not about authority, not about forcing your way on other people. It's about dying. Pastors work long hours. Many leaders in the church, they don't get paid at all. And they're here long nights giving a lot of time, a lot of effort for nothing in the way of monetary reimbursement. They die to self for the honor of Christ and for the sake of the, those that God has given them leadership over. So when you think about this, understand what leadership is in the church. Lastly is this. Now women, women are to lead the church through their children. It says, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. By the way, don't misunderstand this. This is not saying that if a woman has a baby, she's saved. Okay? No, it's not there. What he's talking about is being saved from the stigma of um, the fall. What he's saying is a woman should be highly educated, very good learners at the church. So they can be good helpmate for their husbands, but for this other reason. The primary spiritual input 
to children comes through their mom. Isn't it true? Where is dad? Working the long hours, sacrificing for his wife and for his family. And the mom who is mature in Christ is able to build a foundation in Christ in her children. You see, why there's a role that only men can do, which is to be the pastor and the chief leaders in the church, there's also a role that only women can do, which is to train their children to love Jesus. You see, why men may have the top leadership positions in the current church, women have the incredibly important position of raising the future church. If you look at some of the great church leaders out there, you go and you talk to them. Talk to them about their family. Talk to them about the home they grew up in. Time and time again, you will find an incredibly gifted and godly woman who is their mother, who trained them, who raised them, who taught them the Scripture, who brought them to church, and who cheered them on and prayed for them every single day. Women have incredibly important roles. The very future of the church hangs in their hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that through Jesus we know the incredibly high value of women in your church and for your kingdom. Thank you that women are to be learners and women are to be actively involved in the church and do many and many things in the church, Lord. Thank you for that. Jesus, I thank you for the incredibly important role that you have given women of, of being moms, of being the primary spiritual input to their children and raising up the very next generation of the church. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to be a church that honors you with men who are good and gifted and godly leaders, leaders that are not about authority and power and control, but leaders that are about dying to self for the flock they lead. And I thank you so much for the incredibly gifted women you have given to Crosswinds Church, that without them, we would not be able to be nearly as healthy and as strong as we are today. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.